Arab authorities calling for a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip while visiting Chinese soil. They're joined by Palestinian representatives. How will Israel respond? TikTok taking heat for viral content supporting the Hamas terrorist group. Hey, a group of lawmakers now reaching out to the app CEO to demand answers. Protesters at the Apex Summit ambushed by a group of men. One victim landing in the hospital. Hear them recount the assault. And a spooky holiday with an even spookier aftermath. A number of trick-or-treaters at a Shanghai Halloween parade are now locked up. All for wearing costumes crafted to mock authorities. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. With war raging on in the Middle East, ministers from some Arab countries are gathering in Beijing on Monday. They're calling for a ceasefire between Israel and terrorist organization Hamas. Israel remains focused on the hostages Hamas has taken. The war must end immediately. We must immediately move to a ceasefire. Aid and food supplies must immediately be allowed to enter. The ministers come from the Palestinian Authority, Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Jordan, plus another Muslim-majority country from Asia, Indonesia. The leaders are on a tour to visit all permanent members of the United Nations Security Council. Their goal? To get the council's member nations to shift their stance. As of now, some of them have shown support for Israel's description of its actions in Gaza as self-defense. The conflict began with Hamas's attack on Israel seven weeks ago. About 1,200 Israelis were killed that day. And Hamas took around 200 hostages to the Gaza Strip. The U.S. and other Western countries denounced it as an act of terrorism. The attack led to Israel's bombardments of the Gaza Strip as the country seeks to free the hostages and eradicate Hamas terrorism. Zooming back out to world leaders, China's top diplomat said Monday that Beijing was a good friend and brother of Arab and Muslim countries. The Chinese regime has yet to criticize the initial Hamas attack. Given China's longtime backing for Palestine, the five Muslim countries chose Beijing as the first stop on their tour. Israel's ambassador to Beijing responded to the push for a ceasefire, saying now is not the time for a ceasefire, but for the immediate release of Israeli hostages captured by Hamas. The decision to host the meeting falls in line with Beijing's recent efforts to deepen alliances with countries outside the West. Experts say the goal is to counter the U.S. and establish a new global order with China at its head. TikTok is under fire from a group of House Republicans. They want to know how the platform amplifies content and just how much involvement the company's Chinese owner is. Georgia Congressman Buddy Carter is leading the charge, sending a joint letter to TikTok CEO Shoji Chu. The lawmakers wrote that since the October 7th Hamas terrorist attack, disinformation related to the conflict has run rampant on the platform, stoking anti-Semitism, support and sympathy for Hamas. The letter also criticizes the app's Chinese ownership. It accuses the Chinese Communist Party of co-opting the platform and demanding information on TikTok's algorithms. That's alongside long-time concerns about the app being used for surveillance and to collect American user data. TikTok said the Hamas content violates its policies and would be removed, and that the reports of it trending were inaccurate. The congressional letter comes days after videos backing 9-11 terrorist Osama bin Laden's letter to America went viral on the platform. Nearly 70 percent of American states have banned TikTok from government devices. Now it's facing another ban in Asia, with critics saying it's causing social harm. 
At the same time, U.S. lawmakers are pushing to ban the controversial app nationwide. Watch. I think our legislation will take on an issue like a TikTok, which is, I am afraid, could be used as a propaganda channel for the CCP, the Communist Party of China. That's according to Senator Warner, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, in an interview with CBS News Sunday. He added that 40 percent of America's young people get all their news from TikTok. He introduced a bill called Restrict Act earlier this year. If it passes, it could allow the Commerce Department to ban the app nationwide. Zooming out, 16 countries worldwide have banned TikTok in some capacity. All of them have, at minimum, outlawed the app from governmental staff members' devices, citing data security concerns. Even the Taliban, which currently controls Afghanistan, banned TikTok inside the border. The Taliban says the decision is to protect young people from being misled. The terrorist organization shares close ties with communist China. As for the latest country to block the app, China's neighbor Nepal announced this week that it will also ban TikTok. The video sharing platform is facing heavy criticism for propagating hate speech in the country. Three men ambushed after protesting against the APEC summit in San Francisco. One of the victims says they had been walking back to their car when they saw the group waiting on the side of the road. NTD's Jason Blair brings us more. Three men were walking back to their car on Friday. They had been protesting at the airport against Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping being in San Francisco for the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, or APEC. Trump, Trump, CCP. They then noticed a group of men starting to follow them. They were going to attack us very soon. Coincidentally, Zhang and his two friends were heading to a police station to file reports of previous attacks outside of the APEC summit. But those were not as severe as this one. So I just remember one guy just, uh, just put me down from behind and then uh, my brain just went blank after that. I couldn't remember anything. Zhang said the next thing he remembers, he was lying on the sidewalk. They were already gone. And I heard a lady calling the police. Of the three, Zhang was the most seriously injured and was taken to a hospital. It is very unfortunately, we American people, I think, know very little about how deep uh, the infiltration of the CCP is already here. I spoke with Jennifer Zung about the attackers. She's a China expert and former member of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. She once worked for the Development Research Center of the State Council of the People's Republic of China. So, Jennifer, based on your opinion, do you think that these guys are more than just CCP supporters? Yes, definitely so. From the way them, they carry themselves, the way they organize themselves, and even their haircut, uh, some people recognize that's very similar for uh, with the CCP soldiers or police officers. Zong said she's been getting reports that CCP soldiers have been entering the U.S. through the southern border. What's the purpose? Could they uh, in some day be, you know, 
be activated once they got some call from the CCP. They, they... In April, multiple CCP police stations were discovered in the U.S. The FBI arrested two people in connection to one in New York City. This time, this kind of violence and organized violence has never been seen before. So I'm very much concerned they are not just your ordinary CCP supporters. Zhang said he moved to the U.S. from China this year to escape the CCP's tyranny. And the CCP to do this brutal thing in American soil? Why they allow these things happening here? He also said during the protests, the police seem to be biased and favor the pro-CCP supporters. Zhang said he's filed a police report, but says SFPD has not been very cooperative. So far, no arrests have been made. Reporting in San Francisco, Jason Blair, NTD News. During last week's APEC summit, President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping agreed to meet again in the future. They agreed that they would they would uh, meet again, but there was no date put on the calendar. The two leaders met in San Francisco and agreed to reestablish military-to-military communications between the U.S. and China. The front-runner for Taiwan's presidency has officially chosen a running mate, a high-profile diplomat well-known in Washington but sanctioned by Beijing. Adding to the intrigue, the vice presidential candidate for Taiwan's 2024 election is also a descendant of a Mayflower passenger. Here's more. Taipei's former envoy to the United States has been named the vice presidential candidate for the upcoming election on Monday. Xiao Meiqing is a high-profile diplomat well-known in Washington, but who Beijing denounces as a separatist. She will be running alongside Lai Qingde, the ruling Democratic Progressive Party's presidential candidate. I believe we have lots of common convictions. We are both willing to take on responsibility for Taiwan, with a common belief that Taiwan's democracy and freedom can last forever. That is our deepest connection. The DPP champions Taiwan's separate identity from China, while the largest opposition party, the Kuomintang, traditionally favors close ties with Beijing. Lai has led in most opinion polls ahead of the election, which is taking place as Taiwan comes under increased pressure from China to accept its sovereignty claim. Xiao has been Taiwan's de facto ambassador to the United States since 2020. She has extensive connections in Washington. The foreign ministry accepted her resignation as U.S. envoy earlier on Monday. The United States, as with most countries, has no formal ties with Taiwan. But it's the island's most important international supporter and arms supplier. Like Lai, Xiao is despised by China, which has twice placed sanctions on her. China's foreign ministry declined to answer a question about Xiao, saying it was not a diplomatic issue. China's Taiwan Affairs Office on Wednesday referred to Lai and Xiao as an independence double act. Lai dismissed China's comment. China's thoughtless remarks on this election are sufficient to prove that China is intervening in this election, because none of the Chinese officials have gone through the baptism of democracy. So there is no reason for us to reply to these remarks. Xiao was born in Japan to a Taiwanese father and American mother. 
Xiao's American mother, Peggy Cooley, is descended from a Mayflower passenger. Xiao held American citizenship until 20 years ago when she gave it up for her political career in Taiwan. Next, more top news from Asia and Oceania. Australia's prime minister is criticizing the Chinese regime over a, quote, dangerous, unsafe and unprofessional naval encounter. Last Tuesday in international waters, a Chinese destroyer used its sonar technology while Australian naval divers were underwater. The divers were trying to clear fishing nets that had tangled in the propellers of their ship. One Australian diver was injured because of the sonar. Staying in the South China Sea, the Philippine president says the situation in the region has become more dire. The nearest reefs uh, that uh, uh, the PLA have started to show interest in, uh, in, in, in terms of uh, slowly uh, using these atolls, these shoals, as a basis for building. Uh, basis really is what, is what they are are approaching, the, have, have come closer and closer to the Philippine coastline. The nearest atoll is about 70 miles from the Philippines. The Chinese regime claims virtually the entire South China Sea as its own territory, despite an international tribunal ruling against it. Marcos Jr. made those remarks during a visit to Hawaii over the weekend, where he met with top U.S. military leaders. His trip comes amid a deepening U.S.-Philippine alliance. The Philippines this year agreed to give the U.S. access to four more military bases. The two also held their largest military exercises in decades back in April. That's as Washington looks to deter China's increasingly aggressive actions toward Taiwan and in the South China Sea. Back to Australia, its defense minister met his Indian counterpart in New Delhi on Monday. The meeting focuses on bolstering their strategic defense and security ties. India and Australia are also part of the Quad, an alliance that includes Japan and the United States. It aims to counter China's rising influence in Asia. Over in Japan, a major military exercise is in full swing. The nation's marine forces conducted a beach landing drill last week. It's part of efforts to gear up air, sea and land forces to protect against potential conflicts with adversaries. One likely scenario is a possible Chinese invasion of Taiwan. If Beijing took control of the island, Japan fears that the regime could eventually seize control of a vital trade route there and ramp up pressure near the disputed Senkaku Islands. Japan claims these islands as its own. They're located a few dozen miles from Taiwan. A spooky holiday with a spookier aftermath. Weeks after a major Halloween parade in Shanghai, police have arrested multiple trick-or-treaters who attended the festivities. This follows video and photos online showing revelers dressed in costumes designed to mock authorities. From a surveillance camera to state health workers and Winnie the Pooh, young people took a light-hearted route to depict horrors in modern-day China. Those who took pictures on the scene are also under investigation. According to Radio Free Asia, the regime's cyberspace administration have reportedly stepped in, urging social media executives to ramp up censorship on contents that, quote, violate the core value of socialism. Official figures show that the agency has taken down thousands of so-called illegal websites and online accounts so far this year. 
Coming up, a closer look at the key takeaways from the Bay Area's Global Summit last week. Was any progress made? And on the sidelines, a high-stakes meeting between Washington and Beijing. Could it be a sign of easing China-U.S. tensions? And how will the talks affect geopolitical strain on the world stage? We sat down with national security strategist and Republican presidential candidate Dr. David Steckenberg for details. I think it signaled American weakness uh, in the way that they were invited in um, as almost a hero. China is not a hero. They're a belligerent. They're forming an axis. More on that after the break here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As the APEC summit concludes, let's delve into the key takeaways. First, all eyes were on the meeting between President Biden and the leader of the Chinese Communist regime. Did the leaders hint at a chill or thaw in China-U.S. relations? And what indications will the talks have on geopolitical tensions around the world? Joining us for in-depth analysis is national security strategist and Republican presidential candidate Dr. David Stuckenberg. Dr. Steckenberg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tiffany. Right now, all eyes have been on the President Biden and Xi Jinping meeting. What message do you think that sent to the world? I think it signaled American weakness uh, in the way that they were invited in um, as almost a hero. China is not a hero. They're a belligerent. They're forming an axis, uh, as in a Cold War axis uh, against the United States and Western powers is comprised of North Korea, Iran, Russia, and other belligerent states who seek to disrupt the world order. At the 1600s time frame. On that note, Xi Jinping did tell Biden that planet Earth is big enough for two countries to succeed. That's in contrast to previous internal Chinese Communist Party documents, which say that two tigers can't live on a hill. How do you read that message? China's buying time. The longer that they can stall the United States from recognizing and mobilizing to hold it back um, and to push back against Chinese assertive expansion and ultimate imperial ambition, um, the, the United States can be diminished. China can rise. And this is part of a longer strategy uh, that we have seen with the Belt and Road Initiative and other very um, ingenious strategies, to be quite honest that are uh, well uh, progressed around the world by decades. Now, one of the main takeaways the White House has been pushing after this meeting was military-to-military communications that have been resumed between the two superpowers. Now, China actually has a bigger navy than the U.S. now. How do you read these as there are geopolitical tensions on the world stage? China is uh, most certainly developing a blue-water navy for global expansion. And in advance of that, they have been working to secure ports throughout Oceania, well outside of the nine dash line all around the world, both leases and purchases of ports that will allow its Navy to refuel and to exert influence. Now, unlike um, the United States and the West, there is a great dichotomy between what the um, United States and Western powers represent, which is um, to ensure that all free people in the world have the ability to conduct trade and commerce uh, on the open seas um, and to essentially, uh, you know, do business their way um, under what we see as uh, better known as the cabbage strategy 
um, in and around the nine dash line in contested areas around China and in the South China Sea. We see that the navies are used to harass, um, they are used to bully, and even sometimes surround other vessels and impede their movement, their navigation, and all other manner of activities. So uh, what a blue water uh, expansionist navy uh, from China means is certainly a, a very unsettling uh, future. And what's making it more dangerous and even more unstable is that the United States is signaling weakness and vacating and continually allowing the lines in the sand to be moved. And this emboldens China still further. And now you are running for president of the United States and you have over 20 years of experience as a special operations officer and national security strategist. Now, if you were to become president, what is your strategy when it comes to dealing with these countries? We are in a small window where we can move and activate the United States to prepare and to prevent what is coming. And ultimately, the grand strategy of the United States has been fairly vacant since the Cold War. Back then, we called the strategy that we had the grand strategy containment. And it was about not allowing communist nations to roll over the free world and, and, and people who sought to be able to determine their own destiny. At the end of the day, the United States needs to return to a grand strategy. Under my administration, this would be called prevention. The United States would work with Western powers to prevent any dominance over the free ideas of democracy and republicanism worldwide. Dr. Stuckenberg, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tiffany. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.